myself here. So we're going to, the scripture comes from Philippians 2, 1 through 11. Uh, interestingly, or maybe not, I don't know, um, this was read at uh, our wedding. So uh, both Kel and I chose a scripture, uh, and I chose Philippians 2 because I thought of it like, if I could figure out how to do this in my marriage, I could make it work, right? Um, so maybe that, will, maybe that will help, maybe it won't. But here's Philippians 2, 1 through 11. Therefore, if there's any encouragement in Christ, any comfort in love, any sharing in the Spirit, any sympathy, complete my joy by thinking the same way, having the same love, being united, and agreeing with each other. Don't do anything for selfish purposes, but with humility, think of others as better than yourself. Instead of each person watching out for their own good, watch out for what is better for others. Adopt the attitude that was in Christ Jesus. Though he was in the form of God, he did not consider being equal with God something to exploit. But Jesus emptied himself by taking the form of a servant and by becoming a human being. When he found himself in the form of a human, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore God highly honored him and gave him a name above all names, so that at the name of Jesus everyone in heaven and on earth and under the earth might bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God. So I want to talk about Philippians, and I want us to think about this in terms of the Christmas story. Like, I want us just to breathe in the reality of God becoming a human being. Like, soak this in for a minute, right? God choosing to become vulnerable, a baby, dependent on humans for care and love and support. God humbling himself, being willing to suffer, suffer loss, loneliness, isolation, hunger, death. God choosing to become mortal. I want us to think about the depths of that all for one reason, to communicate love. That's today's candle, love. What does love look like? It looks like sacrifice. It looks like servanthood. It looks like giving of oneself for others. It looks like God becoming a human. Love looks like Jesus. I'm going to push very hard on this idea of love as sacrifice, but I want to make a caveat. So I want to have an asterisk placed right here, bottom of the page, right? For many of you, you grew up in Christian homes where this idea to forgive and love meant you had to become a doormat, meant you had to stay in abusive relationships, meant you had to endure grave injustices, well, but you got to love. You got to just take it. You got to be a servant. I am not saying that, nor do I think that is true. It makes me very angry when Christianity is used as an excuse to allow people to treat us poorly with abuse, with injustice. That's not what I'm saying. 
For some of you, you need to get out of bad relationships, stand up for yourself, and draw boundaries. There's no question. But there is a moral imperative inherent in the gospel. There is a moral imperative where love becomes our primary virtue. It is what defines us as Christians. How do we treat ourselves? How do we treat others? How do we even treat our enemies? Can we lead with love and with grace? And we see how to do this most clearly in the person of Jesus. We celebrate on Christmas God becoming human and I believe God does this to give us a tangible example of what love looks like in the world. What does the kingdom of God look like? It looks like the person of Jesus. It's not some abstract concept. It's not some theological idea swirling in someone's mind. It's the flesh and blood and bone of Jesus. That's what it looks like. And I am firmly convinced that our call as Christians is to imitate Jesus. It is to pick up our cross and to follow Jesus. It's to do as Jesus did, to live as Jesus lived. And this is a real theological split. I wish it weren't. But there are lots of Christians for whom Jesus is this one-off. God gave Jesus a particular mission to come to earth, to die for our sins. Blood would cleanse us in some way. And in faith, if we accept Jesus, we can go to heaven, right? But we don't really have to imitate Jesus because Jesus had this very unique call. Um, I disagree with this version of the gospel, right? This version of the good news doesn't sound like good news to me. So we can disagree, and that's okay, right? Christians can disagree. When I think of Jesus, I see God saying, do you want to know what freedom really looks like? Do you want to know what the good life really looks like? It looks like someone broken and poured out for the world in love. That's the most meaningful life. That's the most purposeful life. Living life such that I'm going to make the world better. Jesus isn't a one-off that we're not supposed to imitate. Jesus shows us the road of salvation. How does Joe Bankard become saved? How do I become delivered from the selfish, fearful, bitter, greedy person I am? Follow Christ. Pick up your cross. Do as Jesus did. Live as Jesus lived. That's how I'm delivered. That's how I'm saved. And we get to celebrate that this Advent season, right? God taking on a human form to love us up close and personal, to give us a tangible example of what salvation looks like. But if we're called to imitate Christ, if, if this call is to really follow in the footsteps of Jesus, it's radical. It's not simple, and it's not easy. I believe that Jesus wants to ruin our lives for the good. He wants to ruin our lives for the good. My safety, my routine, my comfort, my control. Jesus wants to say, that's not what this is about. Jesus wants to mess that whole thing up and call me to radical service and love to bring about the kingdom to the best of my ability. And not just me alone, and that's the beautiful thing, but us together. That's the good news of the gospel. A community will be formed that no longer has to live according to the values of the world where only the strong, beautiful, powerful, young, and rich win. But it's going to be a place where the poor and the broken and the marginalized and those who have been violated find a redeemer and find hope.
That's the Christmas story. I got the privilege to teach a class this semester at NNU for the first time called Quest for the Good Life. The whole class is just about what does it mean to live the good life? I mean, this is a question everyone wants to know. And there are lots of options. Lots of groups say, this is the good life, that's the good life, this over here is the good life, right? And the world I live in in the United States, the American dream, the good life, really does come down to something like have freedom, have, have autonomy, have power, make a lot of money, be successful, right? Personal responsibility, individualism. If we can accomplish those things, then we're going to live the good life according to the American dream. But as a Christian, for those that say we're Christian, this conception of the good life is like the inverse of that. It's not to pursue upward mobility, it's to pursue downward mobility. It's to empty ourselves as Jesus in Philippians 2 empties himself. It's to become a servant. If I want to find my life, I have to lose it. It's the radical call where love demands everything from me. Right? That I'm supposed to pursue this alternate way of being, this, this different set of values. And really this keeps me tethered to Christianity in the midst of all of my doubts frustrations is that I want to be part of a community that says, do you want to know what the good life is, Joe? The good life is this place where we come together and we try to replace violence and hatred with peace and love. We're a community that wants to replace despair with hope. Come to this place where we want to replace bitterness and anger with forgiveness. I want to be part of that. I want to live into that version of the good life. And don't worry, it only costs you everything. That's it. It just wants to ruin your easy, comfortable, in-control life and break it open for some kind of radical, unpredictable, boundless love of others. That's what's going to transform the world. That's what's going to transform hearts. So when you read Philippians 2 and you hear about God not remaining in heaven, not loving us from afar, but becoming a vulnerable baby, willing to die, to love us up close, this is our call as well. We're going to imitate Christ. I'm not sure how to do that. I don't know how to do that well. I want to try to use the analogy of education for a minute. Like, I want you to think about this like a teacher with a classroom of students. Like, if your students are anything like my children in this classroom, they don't love going to school. Sullivan doesn't really love getting the assignments, right? I get like an eye roll, like, oh, I got another paper I've got to write, right? He's in junior high. Not at the height of like, school's great, right? But I know, the teacher knows, the school district knows, if Sullivan will engage this work, it will unlock chains that bind him. He will be literate. He will be able to write. He will be able to critically think. Education will set him free. All of the work, the stuff that he doesn't want to do is really a gift. It's an invitation 
Right? Education opens how many doors? He'll be able to engage texts that he never would have been able to if he doesn't do the hard work now. I want us to think about Philippians 2, the call to selfless love, the call to servanthood, not as a burden. I want us to hear it as an invitation to a wonderful gift. God is saying, do you want to live the good life, the best life? Do you want to be free from anxiety and fear and anger and bitterness? Selfless love. This is what's going to unlock the doors of your heart. This is what's going to show you what is possible beyond your wildest dreams. I want to have the imagination of God to envision a world where peace, love, hope, and joy really do win. So it's an invitation. The gospel is an invitation to this life. I for so long thought of Christianity as a burden, a bunch of do's and don'ts. Don't have sex before you're married and don't drink and don't do this and don't do that and then you can go to heaven when you die. And I think I've just gotten, I, I, like I grew up getting it all wrong. But Christianity is not a bunch of do's and don'ts to like be oppressive so that I can have freedom when I die. Christianity is a gift, an invitation to selfless love now that will actually unlock the chains that are binding me this very moment. Can we think of this like a gift? I want to challenge you that God is asking more of you than you are giving. God is asking from, for more love from you. That we can do radical things to change our community. That we can become a blessing to other people if we would simply give our lives over to God. This is the gift we are to give to God this Christmas, right? Our, our full self. That our prayer might be, here I am, Lord, use me. So I'm not talking about a Christianity of niceness. I'm not talking like, be a Christian, be nice, wave at your neighbor, right? Um, you know, get their mail for them a time or two, drop off a cookie. That's, those are important things. That's very good. Do that. I'm talking about the radical call, though, that God is asking of you. That whatever you're giving God, God's asking for more. I'm talking about the call that God is placing, at least on some of you, that wants to upend your entire life. God is saying, why don't you quit? Do something else. Join a nonprofit. Give of your time in a different way. Write a book. Do something crazy for the sake of love. So I might only be talking to a few of you right now who have felt the Holy Spirit working in your heart who have felt that call to selfless love, something greater, something more. And I want to share what this might look like. So I want to end with a story. Like, what might this idea of love look like? And I want to share a story about my mom, who is the best. So my mom is great. She taught me what it looked like to love like Jesus. So I'm going to share a little bit about her journey. So my mom has never made much money. She's always struggled. Um, she works, I mean, she retired from McDonald's when she finally retired as a manager there. She worked at Taco Bell. She worked as a short order cook at a, at a glider port. She worked as a dispatcher for the police. She worked in a mine and did graveyard shifts and came home with like dirt on her face. My mom is tough. My mom did whatever it took. But she never had much. It never stopped her from giving, though. 
So I'm going to tell you three instances of my life growing up where this idea of like radical love, of real like Christ-like transformation occurred. The first, I was 10 years old, and it was a week before Christmas, and my mom saw a family, a husband, a wife, and two children sleeping in a van, and they were homeless, and she welcomed them into our home. Us kids didn't get much say, so I got booted out of my bedroom. I had to sleep on the floor of my brother's room, and I was pretty upset about it. And that family came and stayed with us, and they stayed with us through Christmas. And they got to open a gift on Christmas Day. And they stayed with us in through January. And eventually, my mom was able to move them into an apartment. And I got to watch the family cry and hug her. She still stays in touch with them to this day, decades later. Why would my mom do that? Why would she open her home to strangers? Why would she welcome them in? That's crazy. That doesn't even make any sense. Because this is the good life, as shown by the person of Jesus? Because this is the radical call to love? When I was a junior in high school, my brother had finally left, and I was like an only child at home. My mom worked with a woman who had adopted uh, a boy named Mark from foster care, and she was his adopted mom for about 10 years. But he was too much for her to handle. So she began to lament. She didn't know what to do. Should he go back to foster care? We're not sure what to do as a family. And so my mom said, he can come live with me. So Mark Demmel came and moved in. And you know who wasn't too happy? This guy! Because I finally got rid of my brother and I was going to be home by myself and now I got another, like, I don't even know, adopted foster brother that I've never met. He was two years younger than me. And it was some of the best times of my life were spent laughing with Mark, getting to know him, watching his transformation as my mom threw a rose and she's like, water on a rock, just drip, 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 very calm, very monotone, very just patient. And just to watch him accept that love, that space, that grace. Sadly, after living with us for about 18 months, his adopted mother said she wanted him back. He wasn't sure. So she said, well, if you come back and live with me, I'll get you a car. Because he was right at that age where he could drive. And so he went back and lived with her. And I, I didn't keep in contact. I don't know how things went. But I can tell you looking back now, my mom was teaching me what radical, selfless love looked like. The last story, I moved out, I went to college. About six months after I left, my mom had a coworker at McDonald's. He was from Ecuador. Um, he was a manager, he was doing pretty well, but his son was going to be coming and living with him. He was six years old. He didn't speak a word of English, and he really didn't have anyone to take care of him. And so my mom and my grandma, who now was living with my mom at the time, said, we'll take him. And so every day after school, he came to my mom's house slowly learned English. They tried to help him with schoolwork. To this day, he contacts her on Mother's Day because he considers my mom his mom. That's selfless love. That's not just niceness. That's not just kindness. It's the kind of sacrifice. It's the kind of upending of one's life, ruining one's life and one's comfort and one's stability for the good.
And I don't know what God's calling you to. I have no idea what the Holy Spirit is doing on your heart. But I know the Holy Spirit's asking for more. Don't see this as a burden. Don't see this as an obligation. Don't see it that way. This is a gift. This is an invitation to the best kind of life. A life of real salvation and freedom. So let's start this Christmas off by saying yes to God, by handing our lives over as a gift, and seeing the wonderful things God might do through us. Amen. Please join in our closing song.